Well, good morning, church. And I I don't take that word church family lightly because my name is Elizabeth Daigle, if you don't know me, and I've had the privilege of growing up in this church too. You see, my husband, Tim, and I began attending ACAC only a few weeks after our wedding back in 1985. So we are old timers. It dawns on me that some of you weren't even born then, but we won't go there. We've raised our now four adult children in this church, and I'm grateful, grateful to have been discipled from the pulpit by Pastor Rock and been a part of this church community for decades. I've been on the pastoral staff now for three and a half years, an unexpected call in my life, and I consider it an honor and a privilege now to be asked to break the bread as we gather to worship the Lord and now look into his word together. Exciting times ahead, amen? So here we are a few weeks into our corporate journey through the book of Daniel. I've been looking forward to this series because I've always been intrigued by the life of Daniel. Now, Daniel would never agree to this title, but I don't think you can look at his life and call him anything other than a superhero. If you review his resume, it's pretty amazing. There was that special diet, the giant statue, his friends in the fiery furnace, and then that impressive sleepover with the lions. (laughs) Truly impressive in every respect, Daniel was gifted with intelligence, insight, wisdom, and tact. He was the great interpreter of dreams. In fact, he had the very powers of Babylon eating out of his hand. So how did this handsome exile do it? Because what I find most remarkable about Daniel is that he is one who remained faithful. What was his secret? He was dragged from his home among the privileged and educated as a captured slave. He was renamed, forced to learn a new language and adopt a new culture. He was expected to swear an oath of loyalty to a king who had destroyed everything he had ever known and everything he had ever loved. It's remarkable enough that Daniel survived, but what I find astounding is that Daniel thrived. How was Daniel, a devoted follower of the living God, able to remain faithful in that pagan culture? And how can we do the same? And to understand how we might do as Daniel did, I'd like to consider what is probably a familiar text. John chapter 10, verses one through five, followed by verse 14. Will you look into God's word with me right now? I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own flock by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. I've entitled today's message, Driven or Led. And as we consider that question, will you join me in prayer? 
Father, I recognize the great privilege it is now to break the bread that we all might be nourished from the truth of your word. But the words before me in my notebook are literally just words on a page unless they are infused with the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray for that miracle, my own of hearing, my own of expressing. And I pray, Father, for the miracle of hearing for my brothers and sisters who are listening this morning, that their hearts would be softened and they would respond and that your Holy Spirit would be an invited guest to move freely among us all. We thank you and praise you for your presence in this place. May you be glorified above all things. In your name, amen. amen. And as we look into God's word today, may the Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. One of my favorite games growing up was Follow the Leader. Do you remember playing Follow the Leader? Remember the point of the game was to pay close attention to the leader so that you could follow, so that you could mimic the leader's actions and reactions so you wouldn't be marked out. And like all eager kids trying to win at the game, I learned to concentrate and pay attention so I could win. Well, that concept behind the childhood game is a good starting point as we seek to answer the question of how Daniel remained faithful. You see, even though Daniel was captured and driven from his home in Judah by the Babylonians, he continued to be led by the living God, even though he was in a foreign land. Now back to our text. If you're anything like me, you don't have much, if any, experience with sheep. But that wasn't the case with the original audience. And so Jesus, as the master communicator, capitalizes on this collective understanding taking something very familiar and concrete and used it to explain something that was no less real but harder to grasp or understand. But for us to see the same picture and get the same impact from his metaphor, we need to step into the world of a first century Palestinian village and walk down the road a bit. Jesus invites us into the scene with a description of a village home that includes a small room for the animals directly adjacent to the house, kind of like our modern day garage. You see, a peasant would own a few animals for their wool and their milk, and they became a great resource and often critical for the family's survival. So when Jesus begins to paint the picture and starts with a thief who doesn't enter by the gate but climbs in another way, Everyone understood he was describing a real threat. Thieves were a constant worry. Sheep were valuable, and losing even one could be devastating. Then Jesus described the daily routine where the local shepherd came to collect the sheep. The shepherd would collect the sheep from a number of families on a given sheep and lead them out as a group to be grazed outside the village for the day. The shepherd would come, knock at the door of the home, the owner would open the door for him, and the shepherd would enter as described in today's text. Let's look again at verse three. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd called his own sheep by name. You see, the shepherd, knowing the sheep so well, would ascribe names to them, just like we do a pet because these animals were with them for years and years. And you see the inference Jesus is making that we are his sheep, he knows our names. It's fascinating to understand the detail here that's being conveyed in the word call. 
Some have described a shepherd's call as a song or a chant or even a yodel. You see, each shepherd's call was unique and particular to each individual shepherd. The words didn't matter. The sound of the voice did. Because that was what the sheep learned to recognize. Someone else could say the same words or sing the same song or name the same names and the sheep wouldn't respond because they only heard the voice of their shepherd. The metaphor that Jesus was building on was from Psalm 23, a beloved and familiar text. We recited it here as we opened the service last week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So this image of being led by the shepherd was literal. You might have seen pictures of a shepherd driving the sheep with a stick from behind. Well, that's not what's being described here because that wasn't the practice then or now where the sheep are raised in the Middle East. And everyone in the original audience understood the picture that Jesus was painting. The shepherd leads the sheep. The original audience also understood the analogy that Jesus was making because it's drawn from the Old Testament images where we humans are called sheep and God is the shepherd. And it's an apt description if you know anything about sheep because they are not the brightest of domesticated animals. Okay, if the shoe fits, wear it. I relate to not being the brightest of the animals. <clears throat> no wonder it's the way God chooses to describe us. To begin with, sheep have poor eyesight. And as a lifelong eyeglass wearer, I can totally relate to the handicap that poor vision can give. Of course, it doesn't help that the sheep have their wool hanging over their eyes often, makes it even harder to see, and that they spend most of their life snacking with their heads down looking for as much grass as they can find. And let's be honest, haven't we all encountered or perhaps been, uh, could be accused of walking with our faces in our cell phones until <laughs> we almost walk in behind a car? I'm grateful for my backup camera. I've saved many people in parking lots. <clears throat> but the Lord knew that sheep needed some built-in mechanism for their survival, so he gifted them with excellent hearing. So once a sheep would learn the voice of their shepherd, it would never forget the sound. They will follow their shepherd, but only theirs. Let's look at verse 4. After he, the shepherd, gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. I read about one poor sheep who was sold and so became part of a new flock. And it had to adjust to a new shepherd. And if a sheep can experience emotional trauma, this one did. When the new shepherd tried to lead it out of the pen into pasture, it panicked and frantically ran around in circles because while the whole flock was following, it did not recognize the voice of that shepherd. And in its panic, it banged its head on all the posts around the pen until it fell over exhausted. Poor thing. Sometimes I feel like a sheep. Because the shepherd goes first. And the shepherd goes first because if there's a log in a path, he can move it so the sheep won't stumble. If a snake suddenly slithers out from under a rock, he can kill it so the sheep aren't harmed. In fact, a true shepherd cares so much for a sheep He's willing to risk his own life to save them. There was a young Palestinian boy in the 1930s. He was an orphan. 
And his little flock of eight sheep was the only thing keeping him from abject poverty. Unfortunately, there was an uprising in the region. And as collective punishment, the government confiscated all the livestock owned by the villagers, not just the ones responsible for the unrest. And in the sweep, the small flock of the orphan boy was taken. The only way to get their livestock back was to pay the official to redeem them. And somehow, this young shepherd managed to collect what was needed to buy back his sheep. So he went to the government's enclosure where the animals had been herded, and he presented himself to the official. And after recognizing that the boy had enough to buy back his sheep, the official went to retrieve eight sheep from the hundreds in the corral. But the young shepherd protested. He didn't want eight sheep. He wanted his own eight sheep. The official, who was not from Palestine and did not know the ways of a shepherd nor his sheep, mocked him with derision. How could he possibly know which ones were his? Well, the young shepherd didn't need to say a word, but climbed up on the fence of the corral, cupped his hands over his mouth, and began singing his song. And even though the song seemed lost over the bleeding hundreds of sheep before him, to the shock and surprise of the official, eight sheep immediately froze in their track and lifted their heads in response. The stunned official watched as those eight sheep shifted and wiggled and extricated themselves from the large herd to follow the voice of their shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. When Jesus made this declaration, his audience probably gasped in response because they understood what he was saying, the bold statement he was making. You see, Jesus was telling them plainly as he applied the Old Testament image of the shepherd for God the Father, for Yahweh, Jehovah, as he applied it to himself, he was asserting that he was also divine, that he and the Father are one. But there was more because this image of the shepherd is all through the prophets who spoke plainly of a time when God himself would come to earth and gather his own. And Jesus was announcing to them there that the time had come, that he was Messiah. He had already declared that he alone has legitimate rights to the sheep, that all who came before him were thieves and robbers. In other words, Jesus declared that he alone is the good shepherd. And he is saying the same thing to us today. He is the living God. He alone is the true shepherd. And people still gasp. My question for you today is, do you know him? Are you his? Not are you perfect or have you arrived or have you figured it all out or have you cleaned up your act, but are you one of his sheep? Have you learned to identify his voice above all others? Have you had a taste of the still waters that restore your soul? You see, following is a process. It's called discipleship. And it's not a one-time event, but a lifetime pursuit. And like anything else, you'll get better at listening with practice 
and better at following by moving out after him. It was June of 1993, and Tim and I sat in the stands at Three Rivers Stadium as part of the congregation gathered together to hear Billy Graham preach. I was moved by the music. I sensed the spirit that night. Many of you were there. It was a powerful moment in the spiritual history of Pittsburgh, and I was thrilled to be a part of it. And as the service ended, I was still moved with emotion, tears in my eyes, choked up from the sense of the spirit moving. And I looked at Tim, and he looked at me and said something that would profoundly change our lives. He said, Elizabeth, I've heard from the Lord. What did he say? He said, he wants us to move to the north side. That's not what I expected. <laughs> so with great spiritual depth, I dried my eyes. I probably blew my nose. And I turned toward my husband and said, look, you probably overheard a conversation he was having with someone down the row. Because <laughs> I'm not getting that. And I don't think you would ever ask me to move into the city. See, that was back in 1993, and for you all who have lived here as I have a long time, you know it was a lot different back in 1993. But my husband, Tim, is patient and wise, and he said, Elizabeth, I'm so sure I heard from him. You find a house, and we'll buy it. Let's just see where he leads. Well, that began an intense experience of seeking the Lord, of listening for the voice of my shepherd like I had never done before. Because I knew that God would not call my husband somewhere and not call me too. We were a unit. We were going to walk together down the road. So I begged the Lord to show me I needed to hear. I wrestled because I didn't want to be driven away from something the Lord had for me out of fear. And I didn't want to be driven to something the Lord had, away from something the Lord had for me out of a sense of social obligation, yuppie guilt, or a desire to please somebody else. I wanted to go, I wanted to obey, but I needed to hear. On a Tuesday morning, six weeks after that night at Three Rivers, I picked up a babysitter so I could run errands with the kids, without the kids. When the realtor called, that was before uh, Google and uh, multi-lists on your phone, to tell me that a house had just come up on the market she gave me the address and told me to check it out and let me know if I wanted, let her know if I wanted to see it. So I drove across town without any kids to a neighborhood I had never visited before. I had a few friends who already lived over here at the time, and coincidentally, or providently, they were all out of town that week. And that was well before cell phones, so I was on my own. Long story short, I drove up to a beautiful house that was right in our price range in a neighborhood I'd never seen before, but I knew it was ours from the start. We saw the house on Thursday, just two days after I'd gotten the phone call. We put an offer on it on Friday. They accepted on Saturday. And then I cleaned my little house like crazy all through the night, Saturday night, because the realtors were going to hold an open house while I came to worship here. And during that open house, my little house sold, which was a third of the size of my new house, for the same price that the buyer had agreed on. 
the Lord never really told us why. And I wonder if he did that to protect me because he knew that the logic of the reason would get away in the way of my obedience to follow. Looking back, it was stressful not to have the input of my small group of friends. But it was instructive, and I'm confident it was intentional because the shepherd was teaching me to listen to his voice alone. We all must be certain to follow only his voice and not any other. Scripture tells us there are other voices. John 10 verse 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see the two-part promise embedded there? First, the promise of life eternal, but then the promise of a different quality of life now, abundance. But the truth is, we'll never get there unless we listen to the right voice. Because the voice you listen to will determine whether you are being driven or being led. The things that drive us are described here as thieves and robbers. They come in many shapes and sizes, but they're always a great con. They look and sound attractive, but we must be ever discerning because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. A pastor friend of mine, Bruce Crossley, told me the story of a recent visitor to Israel. He said while this guy was out touring for the day, he noticed a flock of sheep coming toward him and was surprised to see a man coming from behind driving the sheep. And as the group got closer to him, the visitor walked over and said, excuse me, I understood that the shepherd leads the sheep. And the man replied, oh, he does, but I'm not the shepherd, I'm the butcher. It's an arresting image, isn't it? It has motivated me to be more quick to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thieves and robbers promise freedom and thrill, but their promises are empty. And their claims that initially captivate captivate lead to death, to steal, kill, and destroy like a butcher, driving the sheep to their end. Because everything Satan does is motivated by hate. He hates us. He's the opposite, the antithesis of God. Because God is more than loving, God is love. And that means that only the good shepherd will lead you into abundance. And only by following him will you find freedom and rest for your soul. Only him only him. So how did Daniel do it? How did he stay faithful in the midst of all that upheaval and hardship? Remember as Pastor Rock said last week that even though Daniel and his friends were driven from Judah, they were led by God into Babylon. Daniel kept his faith in the midst of a corrupt culture because those thieves in Babylon couldn't take what he had hidden in his heart. And in those dark days when the reality of his captivity and cultural retraining hung like a heavy cloud around him, I'm guessing that his mind went back to the truths he had embraced in his childhood. His heart chose rest 
as he rehearsed the words of the prophets, even though he was forced to wear the king's clothes. Maybe it was these very words from Psalm 23. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Daniel never expected to live in Babylon. And maybe you're in a place you never expected to be in either. The clear testimony from Scripture is that even though it might not be what you expected, it's not unexpected to our shepherd. He sees you right where you are. So look up and listen and play follow the leader by watching his movements closely so you can follow him. And don't miss this truth. The good shepherd reveals himself to us through his word. So if you're struggling to hear, if you're struggling to differentiate his voice, go to the living word and allow it to speak to you. Allow him to speak to you through it. The promise is clear. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. But for the living word to guide you, you have to engage with it. And then you have to believe it. Really believe it. Not just believe it. You have to believe it. So let me ask you again, as you sit here quietly, let the Spirit speak. In what part of your life are you being driven instead of led? What's forcing you to turn away from the shepherd? What's driving you to hide? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it regret? Is it unforgiveness? Is it pride that you can go it alone and you really don't need him after all? Or is it hopelessness that things will never change? Hopelessness that's rooted in a lie from the enemy that you're not worth it. Not one of those things is from the shepherd. They're from the thief himself. And who are you listening to? My guess is, though, that we can all relate to the sheep turning circles in the pen, not sure which voice is the shepherd's. And if we're honest, even if we've been following the Savior for some time, we could all recognize times in our lives when we've gotten off track because we've lost sight of him and we've stopped listening to his voice above all others. It's easy to do. The noise of the world rings so loudly around us. Who can hear? 24-hour news cycles, Twitter, Hulu, Netflix, Fortnite. It goes on and on and on. We're amazed and impressed with God's great power, and we want him to show himself in a big way. But just like the prophet Elijah, who expected God to reveal himself in a whirlwind, yet God chose instead to reveal himself in a whisper. Can you hear him? Have you carved out a quiet place so you can really listen? Or as you sit here today, do you feel like one of the sheep corralled by the world, swept away from your shepherds, surrounded by strangers and far from home? Listen, he's calling you today. Don't follow him. Don't follow them. Follow only him. A thief is anything that pushes and forces you along. The shepherd will never force. He invites, but we must follow. So as I close, let me ask you, are you being driven by the butcher, by the enemy of your soul who delights in your destruction? 
If you realize to your horror that you are, I want you to move out from the pack and step aside because your shepherd, Jesus, is waiting with his arms open wide. It's all about the shepherd. Only his way leads to life eternal. Maybe you're confused and running in circles, off track and corralled by the world. Know that the good shepherd led you here and that if he's speaking to you now, don't dismiss his voice. Let him show you the way. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you and praise you for the power of your word and the simple but profound call for all of us to follow. And I'm asking here on behalf of those who have been stirred by your spirit that you would move among each one of us to draw closer to you. And for those of you here who have never transferred your trust to him in the sacredness of this space, you can do that right now. You realize you've been driven by the butcher. Step out. Accept Jesus as your shepherd. Receive his forgiveness and promise to follow. Just pray the simple prayer, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to receive you. I need you, Jesus. I want to follow. And for those who have been corralled by the world or are confused and paralyzed in the pen and feel far from him, take this opportunity to respond and recommit and tell him again, of your desire to follow and just pray, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I want to reaffirm my desire to follow only you. And now I'm gonna ask you to do something bold because it's important that you make a public profession that you can remember and go back and reference. And so if you have prayed to receive Christ and step out from behind the butcher's driving, will you raise your hand right now? Thank you and praise you, Jesus. And for those of you who recognize that you're off track, you're paralyzed in the pen and you need to recommit to following, would you raise your hand right now? We praise you, Jesus. And for those of you who raised your hands or should have raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Tell someone. Tell a brother and sister in Christ. Tell me. Tell one of the pastors. Go to the prayer room and ask that there is prayer over you to affirm and seal what the Holy Spirit is doing so you don't wander off again. There's rejoicing in heaven because of you. The angels themselves marvel at your salvation and allow us as your church family to boo you up and help you follow the shepherd well. We thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus, for your work among us today. We pray in your name, amen.